And turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, this is found on page 886. As we've uh, begun to open the book of John, uh, we have seen Jesus introduced as the pre-existent one in the prologue, uh, the Word become flesh. And then uh, last week we looked at John the Baptist's testimony about who Jesus is. As John the Apostle is writing here, and he is presenting to us Jesus Christ so that we might believe that he is the Son of God and that believing we might have life in his name. And of course, uh, here in this section that we're going to be looking at, uh, we see Jesus beginning to call his first disciples and we'll interact with a number of these different personalities. Uh, Jesus didn't simply come as the expression of God in the world without coming to those who should receive him and believe in him. And one of the things that's uh, great about this passage is we begin to see the personalities that he's at work in the lives of. One of the things that's great about summer is that we have a lot of coming and going, and we get to interact with lots of different people. Uh, Elizabeth and I were able to go yesterday to Jordan and Joyce's wedding down in Cincinnati, and uh, we're happy to say that they are united now as husband and wife and looking forward to them uh, rejoining us here in a few weeks, but it's good to be with them and in fellowship. We've also sent a team down to Florida to uh, Echo uh, to work on the experimental farm there, and uh, uh, unfortunately, they had a little accident on the way, but the Lord has uh, provided another vehicle for them. Everyone's fine, and uh, they're on their way to serve, and uh, we're really delighted to uh, not only be able to send people out like this, but also to receive guests and visitors. And I know some of you are here for weddings and family events and so forth and so on. Uh, We're especially delighted today to have uh, uh, Doug and Corby Heimberger with us. Uh, They're over here joining us. Their father was uh, one of the original ruling elders in the congregation. And uh, it's particularly impressive to me because Uh, Dr. Blackwood, uh, the man who planted this congregation by God's grace, uh, nearly 60 years ago came, and uh, in 1965, 57 years ago this summer, he was opening this book uh, to a group of people in Lafayette, Indiana, and uh, we still have those recordings, and one of the things I like to do is tell you what are some of the sources that I use. Well, I'm using D.A. Carson's commentary and Leon Morrison's commentary, Morris's commentary as we go through uh, the book of John, but I'm also listening to Dr. Blackwood. Blackwood's lectures, and uh, it was through that study that my grandparents came to faith in Jesus Christ, and 57 years ago, uh, this summer, a part of that was that Doug and Corby's father went along with Dr. Blackwood to share his testimony of grace, and the Lord used that in the hearts and lives of my grandparents to see them turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that believing they would have life in his name. That's why I'm here. That's why some of the rest of you are here. But you know what? We're not here today to gather, to reminisce mostly about what God has done in the past. Although in one sense, that's what we do as we study the word of God. But we're here because we're looking forward to the year 2079. When people look back another 57 years and they say, I remember when we were going through the book of John there in the summer of 2022 and I met Jesus or I came to know him in closer ways. And so we're going to turn now to God's word, to John chapter 1, verse 35, and we'll read through the end of the chapter, and we'll see Jesus interacting here with his first disciples. But let's calm and quiet our hearts as we go to him in prayer before we read. Lord, we give you thanks that you have sent the Lamb of God into the world so that we might be united to you. 
We thank you, Lord, as we read here that you are the one who has come to open heaven's gates to us so that we might enter in. And so, Lord, it is with great joy and with anticipation that we come to your holy word today and we say, Lord, would you speak to us because your servants are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word, which we pray he would write on our hearts today and forever. You may have noticed this week that our governor introduced a new uh, promotion slogan for the state of Indiana saying blank in Indiana, and you can put whatever activity it is that you're involved in into this slogan to help promote the state, which of course evoked a lot of memories for a lot of different people of various promotions that have been tried uh, for the state of Indiana before. Uh, Perhaps the one that is the quirkiest and the one that stands out in people's minds most of all was the one that was introduced in 1982, which was simply Wander Indiana. And there was a a competition uh, that was uh, developed to write a song uh, to to commemorate this idea that you should wander Indiana. Uh, In-state tourism was the idea that you should just get out there and explore the small towns, uh, see the things that you haven't seen before. And so there was this sort of corny song that went along with it and lots of commercials and eventually it made its way onto the Indiana license plate. Uh, They all said, wander Indiana. Uh, The font for Wander was larger than for Indiana. Some people wondered if there was a new state that had been created, uh, Wander. Uh, Others wondered if Wander was just a really big county and that everybody was from Wander County, Indiana. 
Well, it was memorable at the very least. Uh, the, the idea was simply to get people exploring the state, but not necessarily with any purpose. And that is quite contrary to what Jesus says here about what seeking him is really all about. He begins to interact with the people here in this passage. And John the Baptist, when he is looking at Jesus, he doesn't simply tell his disciples, just just go out there and see what you can find. No, the, the directive is very clear to all who would come in contact with Jesus Christ. What is it that we are called to do? We could maybe frame it in several different ways in this passage, but you see it most clearly here in verse 43 where Jesus finds Philip. And what does he say to him? Follow me. And what is Jesus still saying today to you? Follow me. Note that this is not what I'm telling you Jesus said once upon a time. This is what Jesus, from his holy heights in heaven, is saying to you in this moment. Follow me. And as we see this account unfold of Jesus in this first week of his ministry, interacting with his disciples, uh, we we see here what is probably not his formal call to them as apostles, but simply uh, this initial uh, offering for or in command for them to come and to follow him. We see that the Lord is calling us to the same thing. And, And what happens to the people who follow Jesus? Well, there are five experiences that disciples of Jesus have, and your experience will not be exactly identical to these of the original apostles, but you will experience the same kinds of things if you heed the word of Jesus Christ today when he says to you, follow me. What is the the first of these? Well, the first of these is that you will have to wrestle with why you are following John the Baptist is there uh, preaching. He's on the other side of the Jordan from Jerusalem, uh, a bit north of the Dead Sea. He's baptizing disciples. And as we saw last week, he saw Jesus coming as the uh, representatives of the Sanhedrin were all gathered together. And uh, John had pointed out that they should behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And the next day, John has some of his disciples who are around him. And we're told here that he says to them, as he looks at Jesus, he points at Jesus and says in verse 36, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And we'll see as we unfold the text even more, one of these is Andrew. The other is unnamed, but virtually everyone believes that this is John the Apostle who is uh, writing himself into the story here. Uh, And and this uh, matches with other accounts in the other uh, gospel messages. Uh, So these two disciples see the one who is presented to them as the Lamb of God, and we're told that they follow Jesus. But what happens in verse 38? Well, Jesus turns to them, and he saw them following, and he asked, what are you seeking? Now, when we follow Jesus, one of the things that we'll find is that Jesus himself begins to probe our hearts and our conscience. We begin to follow Jesus as we hear him proclaimed in his word, and as we read this account of him, as we become aware of his existence. Little children do this. 
and the Lord has made us with eternity in our hearts and we begin to quickly wonder, what is life all about? Who made me? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And as we begin to interface with Jesus, we should expect that he will cause us to begin to wrestle with why we are following him. He turns to Andrew and to John and he simply says to them, what are you seeking? And it has the sense here that they've been caught a little bit off guard and they say, uh, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? You've been in those awkward conversations where uh, someone uh, comes around the corner, they see you and you're not prepared to see them. They ask you a question and you're left reeling, not exactly sure uh, how to respond. That seems to be the the response of Andrew and John. And so they simply ask this question, well, uh, where are you staying? Dr. Blackwood used to talk about how whenever a person looks at Jesus Christ, one of the things that causes them to be interested is they recognize that there's a breach in their relationship between God. And they may not even fully understand what it is that they're after. But they know fundamentally that they need someone who is the Lamb of God who can take away their own sin personally. It may not be all fleshed out and clear in one's mind. But one knows they, they at the very least need to draw a little closer to Jesus. And John is writing here, of course, many years later with a different perspective. And he's able, uh, by the power of the Spirit, to write into the book uh, the account of what God was doing in their hearts and lives when they were speaking even more than they really knew. Because this word here in verse 38 for staying is the word for abiding. And Jesus tells them, when, he, when they ask the question, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Jesus simply responds by saying, well, you, you come and see. And then, what does verse 39 go on to tell us? That they came and they saw where he was abiding and abided with him that day. You read on in the book of John, you'll come to chapter 15 and you recognize that what, what does Jesus call us to do? He says, you abide in me. And John And Andrew were asking if they might at least see where Jesus makes his abode. This is what it means for us to begin to explore who Jesus is. It's to begin to come under him, to live with him, to abide with him, to to see where it is that he is from. And perhaps today you're wrestling with these kinds of questions in your own mind, wondering who is Jesus? What What do I need to know about him? Well, initially out of the gate, if you're going to follow him, all you need to do really is to hear Jesus' words of follow-up to Andrew and to John when he says, come, and what? You will see. There's Jesus' promise to you. you. You just come. Jesus welcomes your probing and your prodding and all of your questions because he, as the one who is the word, can take all of your questions. He has all of the answers because he is the maker of all things. And he is the one who's ready to listen to you because he has come for you. That's why he took on flesh. That's why we're preaching him here today. It's because he's ready and he is willing for you to come and see. So this is the first thing that we see happens when a person begins to follow Jesus. They have to wrestle with Jesus' own probing of our hearts, asking, what is it you're really after? What are you looking for? 
And as he asks that question, you can know that he will fulfill his promise to you that if you come, you will see. Well, we see that there's something else that happens that builds right on that, which is, secondly, you'll come and you will see who Jesus is. You will see who Jesus is. There are a a plethora here of titles that are given to Jesus in the first chapter. We've looked at some of them in prior weeks, starting with the word. But in our text here today, just take a moment to count the various titles that are given to him. You see in verse 36 that he is the Lamb of God. And we explored the meaning of that last time. He is the one who is here to take away the sin of the world. Of course, his name is given, the name Jesus, which is that uh, Yahweh saves. He, he's come to save his people from their sins. He's called here in verse 38, Rabbi. He's the one who is the teacher. And again, this would mean more than what John and Andrew were we're ready to realize at this point. Then when Andrew comes and he interacts with Jesus, he runs to tell his brother Simon in verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, as the, the verse translates for us. That is, he is the anointed one. And you think of how anointings were used in the Old Testament. They were used to designate a prophet uh, like Elijah or Elisha. They were designate, uh, used to designate and uh, set apart priests like Aaron and his sons and kings like David, who was anointed by the prophet Samuel. Jesus is the anointed one who has come to fulfill all of these functions on behalf of his people. We're also told as we continue to go through this text, we see how it, uh, Jesus interacts with Nathaniel. And Nathaniel in verse 49 recognizes something more of who Jesus is when he realizes Jesus' omniscience, that Jesus had seen him uh, even without being there, sitting under a fig tree. He knew details about him that no one else could have known. And what is it that he says? He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then what is Jesus' own self-designation that he provides for us at the very end of the passage in verse 51? He calls himself simply the Son of Man. Now, did these disciples who were following, did they understand the fullness of all that they were declaring in these first few statements in the first week of Jesus' ministry? No, it becomes obvious as we work our way through the book that they didn't understand the fullness of what they were saying. But the Lord himself had given them this testimony. And the Lord gives us this testimony of who his son, the Lord Jesus Christ is. Jesus is being presented and unfolded for us in this book as the one who has come to fulfill all of the promises of God. To atone for the sins of his people. To rise on the third day. To ascend into heaven and to lead his people forward. Why is it that you should follow Jesus? And what is it that you will experience? We're not going to take time to go through all of these here today, but you will experience as these disciples did the reality that Jesus fulfills every one of these titles and more. So we're only scratching the surface here today, but part of the purpose of John writing this way is to whet your appetite to ask, what do all those terms mean? And what more is it that I need to learn about Jesus? 
Because you see, so much of what our culture wants you to do is simply to define Jesus your way. But that's not how it works. We're going to see in a few moments that Jesus actually changes Peter's name. Jesus gets to change who we are, but we don't get to change who Jesus is. He is simply declared to us to be everything that he is, and we are called to believe it. So uh, the disciples uh, begin to see more of who Jesus is. And we too, as we work our way through this book, are going to see more and more and more and more of who Jesus is. And it's going to continue even when we're done studying this book. And it's going to go on through the rest of your life. And then you know what? It's going to go on through all of eternity. Because as you sit before the throne of God, even in all of eternity, you will grow moment by moment in your knowledge of God and you will never exhaust your knowledge of him because he is the word become flesh. Well, you will see who Jesus is and you will see as part of this that he is the master. He's the master of his people. Um, sometimes it's asked, you know, how, how do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? How, how do you know? Well, it's pretty simple. You ask the question, am I following Jesus? What, what's a follower of Jesus? It's someone who follows him. What does it mean to follow him? Well, it means to put oneself under his authority and his direction and to submit your life entirely to him. This is what uh, disciples in that day would do with their masters. And this is what we're called to do as well. And what we notice in this then, the third thing, the third experience you will have is that you will be changed. It's not just that you'll have to do some internal thinking about why you're seeking. It's not merely that you'll learn more about Jesus as though he's some sort of external object to you, but you will personally be changed. That's what's happening here to all of these disciples. They're realizing something more of what's going on, and we see it most explicitly here with Peter and then with Nathaniel. And you'll notice it in verse 42 with Peter. Andrew brings his brother to Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, you are Simon, the son of God, uh, sign of John. Uh, that's his old name. And uh, we know that names signify authority. There's a sense here in which he is Simon, son of John. So he has his DNA from his, his father, who is John, but it's more than simply his DNA. It's his culture. It's probably his mannerisms. It's all of these kinds of things that he has inherited. And Jesus, as he comes to Simon, he says, you know, I, I know you. I know your first name and your last name. Jesus is, in one sense, perhaps more than Simon even realized at this point, saying, I, I know your father. I know where you come from. And as you're all sitting here today, there are probably things that are going on in your heart of hearts that are secret from everyone else. Or there are things that you've done that you maybe think no one else knows about. But there is one who knows. And it is Jesus who invites you not only to come and see him, but he wants you to know that he sees you already. And there's nothing that is hidden from him. There's nothing that hasn't been revealed to him already, which is quite a remarkable thing when you stop and think about it. Because you and I can think about our sin and our guilt 
and all that we've done that's offensive to other people that, that we'd rather hide in certain cases. And we'd rather hide it from God. And when we know of, of people who have lots of sin and problems, there are times when we just want to avoid them. And that would be, in one sense, the natural thing for God to do with us or for Jesus to do with these who are here on earth, and yet it's quite the opposite of what he's done. What does Jesus do? He draws very near to sinners like Simon, knowing everything about him. He comes to him. He knows that he's Simon, son of John. But what is Jesus' first thing that he does? Again, some people call this Jesus' first miracle in the book of John. He changes his name. And his name is Simon, and we know as the the book is unfolded that he's a pretty impetuous character. Uh, He's usually the first to speak, and he's usually the first to be wrong. Sometimes he's the first to be right, but often he's the first to be wrong. Uh, He's going in wrong kinds of directions. And you wonder, what on earth is Jesus doing choosing someone like this? But what does Jesus say? He says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter which we know means rock. Jesus takes this man who is very unstable and he says, I'm going to use you as one of the pillars in my church. You're going to be part of the the foundation here of this great project, this great enterprise, this body, this building that I am involved in, in, that I'm founding here and building up to all eternity. This is what Jesus comes to do to people like Peter and he comes to do it to people like you and me. So he says, you are so-and-so, and you will be such-and-such. And in our baptism, we receive the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We become Christians in that public, formal, declared sense. We bear the name of Jesus Christ, and we are changed. And it's not simply a change in title. Uh, Our status changes as we believe in him. We go from those who are uh, reckoned as sinful to being those who are counted as righteous in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord uh, owns us as his very own. And then he walks us through the process of what we call sanctification. Or getting cleaned up, being changed moment by moment and day by day. And one of the things we can keep our eye on here in the book of John is that John seems to find his friend Peter particularly interesting. Uh, John himself uh, sort of withdraws into the background of the book. He's usually the unnamed disciple or he's the one that Jesus loved, but he loves to keep his eye on Peter. And as we read John, we'll see that it's as though there's a bit of a movie camera that John has on Peter because he's so fascinated by what Jesus did in this guy's life. Some of you know a man named Rich Gantz, who's a pastor of a sister congregation of ours in Canada, uh, who was a fairly flamboyant uh, personality. He grew up as a Jew in New York City, and he was uh, converted in his young adult years, and uh, he's been used mightily of the Lord since then. Uh, He's quite an older man now. Um, but in his younger days, even before he was converted, he was in college, and uh, he was an activist in all kinds of uh, 
events, purposes, you know, if if there was something going on, Rich was involved with it. Uh, He was converted and all of that energy was taken sort of like Peter, went from Simon uh, to to being Peter, invested in uh, the the Lord's cause and in his purpose. Uh, But years later, he went back, I think it was to a class reunion or something like this, and he learned at that particular juncture that there was someone else who had been in his class who was a, a videographer, And for his whole major project in school, he had, without Rich knowing it, followed him around all of his years on campus, simply taking video of Rich because he was such a compelling character. Now, unfortunately, I don't think he got to see the change in Rich there in his college years, but that's a little bit of what John does here with Peter in the book of John. He says, this character is so fascinating, and he moves so much from being one thing to being another by the power of Jesus that the world just needs to see it. He did that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, so that we could see it too. But you know what Jesus still wants to have happen? On an ongoing basis, he still wants to see Simon become Peter. He wants to take you from wherever you are today. Maybe you're unbelieving and the first thing that needs to change is you just need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're still struggling with particular sin and he's going to lead you out of that. Or maybe he's calling you to a particular purpose and you're sitting here with anxiety, not sure if you're up to the task. And he will give you the strength and the energy and the ability. Jesus is in the man-changing and woman-changing business. And that ought to give you all kinds of hope as we read about our Savior here today and know that he is seated on the throne, ready and willing and desiring to change you. Well, he calls us uh, to, to be changed. And he uh, does indeed change our, name, uh, our names. Uh, he changes our purpose in life. And uh, one of the other things that he does uh, that is a, a change that goes on in us is he, he just elicits praise from us. And uh, I want you to see this uh, finally. He doesn't just change our name, but he actually works within us so that as we see him differently, there's something that happens in terms of our response to him. And you see this with Nathaniel, right? Um, we're told uh, in the second half of our passage here that Philip finds Nathanael, says, hey, we found a him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Uh, and Nathanael's first response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, we learn later in chapter 21 that this man was actually from Cana, which is where the miracle in the next chapter is going to be described for us. Not much of a town itself, but if you're from small towns, you know that given the rivalry that exists, uh, particularly back when there was single-class basketball in Indiana, what really mattered is if you beat the other school you know, on some regular basis, even if they were only five people smaller than you. Uh, and, and so he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus uh, Philip simply says, come and see. And Nathaniel then uh, sees, uh, uh, Jesus rather sees Nathaniel coming toward him and uh, he begins to interact with him. And as we've already observed, reveals to Nathaniel that he saw him sitting under the fig tree. And, and what is the change that comes in Nathaniel? And what is the change that comes in you and me when we start to understand who Jesus is? Well, there is praise that is evoked. It is something that is spontaneous because our eyes are lifted up. We've seen who Jesus is. It might terrify us with regard to what he can do, 
But one of the things that we know is that he's worthy of praise. And so Nathaniel says here, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And if you want to know, is Jesus changing me the way that I know he says he wants to, you ought to ask yourself the question, is praise elicited from my heart when I think of him? If it is, you can know that you're following Jesus and that he is at work within you. But it is an interesting bit of a barometer uh, for us. If our thoughts about Jesus don't lead us to praise and to adoration like Nathaniel here, it might be time to ask those questions. Am I really following Jesus? Have I really seen who he is? And am I really interested in him changing me and my life? Well, he does elicit praise from us. And he is at work in us. And that leads us then to the fourth thing that happens. As that praise is there upon our lips, we're going to worship him, of course, but we're also going to be set on a mission. We're going to be set on a mission. And we see that mission just sort of naturally falling out here as these men come to learn about Jesus Christ. And we see it here, first of all, with Andrew. One of the two, we're told in verse 40, who heard... uh, John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And we're told in verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon. He he couldn't wait. First thing he did, he had to go and tell his brother about the thing that he had seen. And then he brought him to Jesus. And we see the same thing happening in verse 44 with Philip from Bethsaida uh, He was from the city of Andrew and Peter, so these guys were buddies. And we're told then that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph. They they were so excited that they had found Jesus. They saw that he was already doing something in them and they just couldn't help but spill the beans. They had to tell their buddies and their friends. Leon Morris says that one of the best services you can render is to point someone to Christ. And if you think about how it is that you came to faith in Jesus Christ, almost inevitably, it's that you had someone who told you. Maybe it was your brother who said, you ought to come to church with me. Or you ought to go to this Bible study. Or you ought to just read what this text is all about. And you came to see Jesus with new eyes yourself. It's the way that he continues to operate. How is it that the church grows? It's it's not usually by grand schemes and campaigns, but it is by one life being changed at a time, here and there and somewhere else. It's been the history of the last 2,000 years as God's people have gathered and people bring their friends to come and see. And this is sometimes a, can be a, an intimidating thing And so it's good for us to encourage one another in this act. When I was a boy, my mom taught what was known as the Andrew Club. It was an after-school club. We held it at the local Methodist church. All the kids would come on the bus who wanted to come to the Andrew Club from the local public school. They'd uh, pile out at 4 o'clock. And what happened? We all just heard about Jesus. We heard about the stories of great missionaries who had gone forth in the world. We sang songs of praise. And little children were led to know Jesus Christ. And it was called the Andrew Club because the whole idea was you need to not just be here yourself, but be like Andrew and bring your friend. 
And so the Andrew Club went on for years and years and years. And you see, the beauty of it is that God has appointed his apostles. He has appointed pastors. He has appointed elders to help lead the way in this. And he calls each person according to their ability to be part of this grand uh, program. And it's really simple for even you. What is it you need to know if you want to lead somebody else to Jesus? All you have to do is say the same thing here that Philip said to Nathaniel. Well, just come and see. Just come and see. When we think about evangelism, when we think about responding to people, it's really helpful just to get a few words in mind. You know, somebody asks you a hard question. What's a really good answer that you should have memorized? I don't know. It's a wonderful answer in evangelism. And then the next line can be, well, come and see. We'll go talk to somebody who can help us find the answer. We will go to the scriptures. We'll go to Jesus. When I was uh, graduating high school, and a number of you have graduated high school, uh, I got a card that's been one of the most helpful cards in my life. Uh, It simply on the front said, here are two words that will open many doors for you. And you open it up and it said, push and pull. And I think of that card every single time I try to walk through a door the wrong way, right? It's, it's simple, James, just two words. They'll get you through a lot of life, push and pull. And it's the same thing with evangelizing people. We may not always know what to say. That's okay. Just say, come and see. Just go to your neighbor or your coworker. As praise is elicited for your savior, all you have to do is say, well, just come and see. You can come see what I saw and you'll be changed too. So there's this mission upon which we are set. And we, we do that because we know that even though we found this great treasure, we found the Christ, we found the Messiah, we have this sense that there is still more yet to come. What is the next experience that we have as the people of God? Well, it's from verse 50 and 51 here. We will see greater things than these. Nathaniel's interacting with Jesus and Jesus says here in verse 50, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You, you recognize I'm omniscient from that one statement. And now as we come to the end of the chapter here, we're starting to see more of what it means to believe that John talked about in verses 12 and 13. Here's Nathaniel. He's believing. This is good. It's very simple to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, you you saw that I know everything about you, even without being there, and you're ready to believe. That's good. But you just wait, because you ain't seen nothing yet. And he gives him uh, this line in verse 51, which comes from Genesis 28, very familiar story to you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This, of course, comes from the vision that Jacob had as he was fleeing the promised land. God met him there at Bethel, and there were angels that were ascending and descending a ladder in his dream. And Jesus is saying, I I am that ladder. I am the gate of heaven that is being opened. You come to me, and what is it you're going to see? You're going to see heaven itself open to you. You're going to see Marvelous things, not just today, but for all of eternity. These disciples would see Jesus live righteously before them in every way, confound his adversaries, 
suffer immensely to the point of death on a cross, and then they would bear witness to his resurrection and to his ascension. But even they hadn't seen it all at that point, and neither have you and I. Think about what it was that God promised to Jacob there in Genesis 28. Uh, he, he has the, the dream, he sees the vision, and in the vision, in verse 13 of Genesis 28, we're told that the Lord stood above that ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Here's a promise he gives him. You're going to get the land that I have promised you. Secondly, he goes on in verse 14 to say, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. So you're going to have lots of spiritual children. But that's not all. He goes on to promise a third thing. He says, And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Reminding us of God's promise to his father or grandfather Abraham. But that's not all. There's a fourth promise that's given to him as well. And that fourth promise is in verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What Jesus is saying is, I have come to fulfill all the promises that were given to Jacob to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I am going to fulfill those same promises for you. And you recognize then the similarity between that and the great commission that he sent us out into all the earth to make disciples of all nations so that all of these people might be gathered to bring praise to him. And what's the great promise of our God? That he will be with us even to the end of the age. You notice the difference between this and the theme of simply wandering Brothers and sisters, this is going somewhere. And it is going nowhere else than to your God himself who comes to you in in this passage. And he says, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the great joy that you have given us in sending your son so that we might be called to follow you so that we might be called to experience all of these things and more. And so we pray that you would bless us with hearts that long to be your disciples, to follow you, to submit ourselves to you, and to behold you in all of your glory and your wonder, so that we and our culture might be changed, and so that we might enjoy your presence forevermore. Pray this in Christ's name.